0: Hey, thanks for checking out the weekly podcast from Chattanooga Valley Baptist Church. We hope you found this episode to be challenging and encouraging. Now, let's turn our attention to this week's sermon from Pastor Brian Carroll. Well, ever since I started preaching through books of the Bible, I've tried to make it a priority not to skip passages. Uh, now, later on in Joshua, we will get into some content that we will have to kind of skip through because when you read it, it almost reads like a, an ancient property survey. So imagine if you were talking to a surveyor who came to survey your property, and they would get their equipment out, and they would make a map, and they would show you the plat that shows you where all the corners and all the boundaries and everything are, and you could look at that plat, and and you could sort of figure out your bearings. Well, imagine living in a world where they didn't give you a physical map, but they gave you a verbal description, of what that property was like. And so there are parts of Joshua that lend itself to that verbal description of a piece of, of property. The problem is it's more than just an acre, it's an entire nation. And so there are some places that, that uh, don't necessarily lend themselves to the work of preaching, uh, but they are in God's word, and I absolutely believe, believe that every word of this book is God's word, uh, but sometimes those words are pretty far removed from us where we are today. Sometimes those words make a lot of sense if you're a Jew living in 500 B.C., but to a congregation of white Americans living in 2022, these words seem maybe a little distant. Um, And sometimes it's hard to make those words carry the same significance with us as they would have with someone living in ancient Israel. However, I get to the beginning of chapter 5, and um, my first thought is, I maybe should just skip this section. If you're reading, you're you should be reading. You should be paying attention to what we're talking about today. Um, I maybe should just skip this first section of chapter five, or, or maybe let Jacob come and preach this first section of chapter five. And so uh, he's not interested. Uh, Foster didn't. Not, none of these guys are interested in in teaching this this section in chapter five. And I will say this: there are some passages that preachers love to preach. You know, the opportunity to preach passages that lend themselves to powerful application in our lives, those those passages that you walk away with marching orders and you know without a shadow of a doubt what God is saying, what God wants you to do. There's passages that are gospel-soaked and Jesus-filled that preachers love the opportunity to get their hands on. And then there are passages like this one that are a little bit more of a challenge. And so... If we get past the obvious awkwardness of what we're going to be talking about here in chapter five and try to understand the significance of what's actually transpiring here, we probably are going to find that this passage is very applicable for us today once we get past some of the, uh, some of the cultural awkwardness that is there. Uh, and so, yes, we are talking about circumcision today. All snickers, it's like middle school class. Everybody kind of wants a Snicker right there. Uh, but we're not gonna talk about it much, So, but we do have to mention it a little bit. So, uh, Y'all are so funny. Anyway, we're in Joshua chapter five. I would invite you to stand as I read these words together. This is the word of God, and we're gonna read it and share it and delight in it today. Joshua chapter five, beginning in verse one. So Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the sons of Israel at Gibeoth Haralot. And this is the reason why Joshua circumcised them. All the males of the people who came out of Egypt, all the men of war, had died in the wilderness on the way after they had come out of Egypt. Though all the people who came out had been circumcised, yet all the people who were born on the way in the wilderness after they had come out of Egypt had not been circumcised. For the people of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness until all the nation, the men of war who came out of Egypt, perished because they did not obey the voice of the Lord. And the Lord swore to them that he would not let them see the land that the Lord had sworn to their fathers to give to us, a land flowing with milk and honey. So it was their children whom he raised up in their place that Joshua circumcised, for they were uncircumcised because they had not been circumcised on the way." When the circumcising of the whole nation was finished, they remained in their places in the camp until they were healed. And the Lord said to Joshua, today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you and so the name of that place is called Gilgal to this day. Father, I thank you for your word. I pray God that we might understand it appropriately, God, and that it would challenge us today as we consider it. Uh, Be with us now and help us to focus on the, um, the application that you have for us here today. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. I did tell Jacob today, this week that there are very few places in the world where you actually get to discuss this topic. Uh, one is probably the delivery room or somewhere close by at the hospital, and the other is at the pulpit of a Southern Baptist church, and so, uh, so it is a very narrow place where we can actually have this conversation, but I don't want us to lose our place in the story here because what's taking place here is actually very profound. If we had a drone, I would love, I like flying a little recreational drone, you'll see me buzzing around sometimes, and there's times that I wish I could just have a drone flying over these events in the Bible. I'd love to have a drone that was up and looking at the nation it was, as it was crossing over the Jordan River and and this 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 incredible number of people as it was crossing through the Jordan River and see the events that lead up to what takes place in chapter five here to see this entire nation. I would love to be able to see that. Because again, I mean I think of the logistics of 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 just I mean, we had a breakfast this morning, and the logistics of of feeding you know uh, you know a, a handful of people, relatively speaking, and the logistics of that versus the logistics of tending to a nation with a million people. Uh, I mean, just the just the remarkable and stunning logistics that were involved in in that whole process and that whole thing is is absolutely incredible. And so, what's happened? The nation has come through the Jordan River. They've gathered there on the. On the east bank of the Jordan River. And we get very specific. Joshua chapter 4, verse 19, it says, The people came up out of the Jordan on the 10th day of the first month, and they encamped at Gilgal on the east border of Jericho. Because of the way the Hebrew calendar works, it's hard for us to, to get an exact date. So it's not like we could put on our calendar that they crossed through the Jordan River on October 10th, you know. 2025 BC. We can't do that per se, but we can really kind of understand that that this is an exact place. This is an exact time. There is a real stone marker that is there on the side of the river to commemorate the event. The facts given to us here lend us to believe that we're not talking about a story that didn't happen. These are historical events that are designed to say this really is, this is true. This is a word of God, this is not just a story, this is not just a fable, this is not just a legend, this is actually true, it happened on this date at this place, there is a monument, there is a place on the calendar where all of these things transpired. And so what's happened? The nation has set up camp and all Canaan is watching. I mean, everybody's paying attention. Everybody is looking to see what this massive group of people are, are up to. They want to know, they want to experience, they want to see what the nation of Israel is about to do. In fact, we're told in the very first verse of this chapter that all the people in charge, all the chieftains, all the kings, all the surrounding people are paying attention. They're watching this unfold and we get the sense they're absolutely terrified. I mean, wouldn't you be? I mean, just imagine, I mean, we get a sense of this some with the immigration stuff that's going on, but imagine that, that Canada Sent, uh, we'll use Canada because it's apolitical. Imagine Canada sent a thousand Canadians to Walker County or a million Canadians to Walker County. You know, imagine, imagine the, the a million Canadians parading through St. Elmo and, and taking over the valley here. Can you, I mean, we'd be like, what are them Canadians doing? You know, what are they up to? What is their plan? What are they, what are they thinking? And it might be terrifying. We might not know what they're up to. We're told here that these chieftains, these kings, these leaders, we're told that the Spirit left them. What does that mean? Well, that's like saying, I guess, they're get up and go, got up and went, right? They they don't have any motivation. They don't have any desire to go pick a fight with these people because they have seen what their God has done. Well, that's important. Why? Because of what happens next. You see, Joshua is already involved in a very unconventional battle strategy. Jericho is there. They know Jericho is there. They know that that they're about to have to go conquer Jericho. And I don't know, if I was going to conquer a city, there's some things I would do and some things I wouldn't do. I can tell you what I wouldn't do if I were about to go conquer a city. I wouldn't subject every man in my army to a painful surgery before he's to go conquer the city. I wouldn't do that that would not be on my radar screen. We might be lifting weights, we might be pumping iron, we might be working out, we might be at the range working on our shots. We're not going to the clinic and having a painful surgery. But Josh was not operating in a conventional strategy. Josh was working in God's strategy here. And so the fact that all the enemies are looking at this and saying, we're terrified. Isn't it neat how God takes care of his people? because. In that moment, when they are healing, when they are recovering, guess what? Man, they're vulnerable. A a, a foreign army, Jericho, could have sent its best forces out and could have taken care of the Israelites in one battle, right then and right there. And so while it may seem as odd as a preparation for battle, when we understand this from a spiritual dynamic more than a military one, we understand what God is actually up to here. And what God is doing here. It really has to do with our identity. We need to remember our identity as God's people. We need to remember who we are. You see, God commanded Joshua to circumcise the Israelites, and all that was a reminder to the nation to whom they belonged. I know it says that he circumcised them twice, and just understand that that's clunky Hebrew, Translation into English. Don't worry, gentlemen, that's not what it reads literally. Some of y'all are stressing. That's not what it means. It's just a clunky translation from Hebrew into English. He's talking about back when it was first put into the sign of the covenant versus now. Uh, So what's happened? There's been a long journey. There's been a lot of funerals that have happened in the wilderness. This was not the same group of people standing outside of Jericho who had been there at the Exodus. Those who remained... Other than Joshua and Caleb, they were children during the Exodus. That's who got to survive, were those who were not adults during the Exodus. So, so this was not a group of people who could readily recall God's work in Egypt. They were children at the time. I mean, again, you think back to your childhood. There are certain aspects of your childhood that you remember. But beyond those significant events and significant people, most of those memories are just random pictures floating around in gray matter. And, and our lives have variety. Imagine if you were a child in the wilderness and every single day was the same thing. What do you do as a child in Israel? You go out and you gather manna, you eat manna, you, on Saturday, on Fridays, you save manna, but every single day it was the same thing. It's not like anything unique really stood out except for those, those random moments. I don't remember every single day of my childhood. I remember significant things. These kids down here, they're not going to remember the day that the pastor stuck a funny name on their back. Well, they might. You know, it may, may, may be something that some of them have you know, vague memories of, but it's not going to be something they carry with them for the rest of their lives. It, it'll be forgotten eventually. For these Israelites, they lacked the sign that they were God's people. They lacked the marker of being in covenant with God. In a lot of ways, they were on a team, but they didn't have a uniform. And this is something that God takes very seriously. I understand culturally we're distant from this, that there's, there's a lot of separation from us to what the text is saying here, but this is something that God took very seriously. In Exodus chapter 4, God was so angry with Moses over the very same issue that God was ready to strike Moses. He was ready to smite Moses in Exodus chapter 4. If Moses' wife had not stepped in to save the day, Moses would have been dropped dead in Exodus chapter 4. So God takes this issue particularly serious. Now, we today, we see this as a simple medical procedure that happens to our little boys before they leave the hospital. But for the nation of Israel, this was a sign of their covenant with God. And so chapter 5 begins with a very significant pause, a a, a freeze here. And it is designed to remind this people, this nation, who they are, and whose they are. It's good to be reminded of this from time to time. It's important for us to remember who we are and whose we are. It's important for us to remember that if you are in Christ today, you are not a pauper or a peasant, but you are a prince or a princess of the Most High God. Remember that, that's who you are. If you are in Christ, you are divine royalty in God's kingdom if if you're in Christ today. You have royal blood pulsing through your veins. You have royal blood covering your stains. Maybe we don't hear this enough. We hear all the time we are sinful people, we're separated from birth, we're condemned to die in our trespasses and sins, and guess what, that's 100% true. There is nothing that's untrue about that. We are sinful people. We are sinful from birth. We are sinful in our actions, sinful in our thoughts. We are sinful in our motives. That is 100% true. But hear me today. God saw fit to correct the flaw in our programming. God saw fit to change the the problem. God saw fit to overcome the challenges, and he did so through the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. So if you are a follower of Christ today, you are a child of the King. Who you are. You are part of the people of God and you are a key part of God's kingdom. This is absolutely true. And this is something that our children need to be hearing from their parents today. Because what our children are hearing is very, very different. Our children are hearing all kinds of different messages, not who they are in Christ or who they could be in Christ. What they're hearing today is that they're the center of their own universe. That's, who we are. that's what our kids are hearing today. Our kids are hearing things like they're highly evolved animals. And that's what they're hearing today. They're hearing that they're a happenstance collection of carbon molecules electrified in some primordial sludge. And we wonder why it's off the rails today. People think that they're just the epitome of human evolution. Why should it not surprise us when people do stupid things? Because they think they're out of a primordial sludge somewhere. They look at apes swinging through the trees and lizards crawling through the jungle and they say, oh, those are my ancestors. And God says, that's not your ancestors. I created you in my image and in my likeness. You are human beings. You are unique in all of the created order. You are not what they say you are. The truth is, They are subject to their creator king. That is who they are. But they hear that they can chart their own course. They can name their own truth. They can be the master of their own destiny. The reality is they are intelligently created by the king of kings and lord of lords. They need to hear that from you as parents and grandparents. They need to hear that from us as a church. They need to hear that from our Sunday school teachers. They need to hear that from our student ministry, our kids' ministry. They need to hear that on a regular, ongoing basis because our kids, the next generation, are important part of the covenant community of God's people. Now, they are no more important than anyone else, but they are the apple of the eye of a holy God. I love how Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 he says for we are for we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus which for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them we are God's workmanship You look in the mirror and you see whatever the devil says about you or whatever the culture says about you and the Bible looks at you and says, no, child, you are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus. That's who you are today. And because of that, we have to become very much aware of the fact that we have a responsibility to the kingdom of God in this life. Understanding the reality of who we are, of what our identity means, only means that we have to have a greater grasp of our responsibility to the kingdom. I don't know what's happened over the last hundred years in our nation. Some of you that are older than others, your memory of the world that you grew up in versus the world today is vastly, vastly changed. Where you were as a child and what we're facing today is a whole new world. It's a whole new situation. Again, I don't know what's happened in the last 100 years. I have suspicions. There's lots of different opinions on it. But what we can be sure of is that we were at one point in time a people and a nation that were at least more committed to Christian values than we certainly are today. And each and every generation has has seen an increase in its lostness. Again, you look up the statistics, they're well documented. But if you were to lay the generations out on a, on, on a chart, you look back at the, at the greatest generation and the boomers, right, that's a pejorative term now is when, when a kid looks at you and says, okay, boomer, they're not celebrating who you are, they're making fun of you. Uh, I get called that and I'm not a boomer, I'm a Gen Xer. Uh, and so, but if you lay it out on a, on a chart, this generation up here, there was a lot of Christ followers, Gen Z, they're hard to come by and it's a steep drop off from the Boomers to the, millennial, to the Gen Xers to the Millennials and now the Gen Z. It's a steep decline. Every subsequent generation has suffered. There was a study that came out this week by the Pew Research Center and it made claims that Christianity, listen to this, Christianity is on track to become a, a minority religion in this country in the next 50 years. Christianity is on track to become a minority religion in this country in the next 50 years. The Pew Center said in the study, they estimate that in 2020, about 64% of Americans, including children, were Christian. They go on. People who are religiously unaffiliated, sometimes called religious nuns, account for 30% of the U.S. population. Adherents of all other religions, including Jews, Muslims, Hindus, Buddhists, totaled about 6%. They go on depending on whether religious switching continues at recent rates. That means people who claim to be Christian who say they're not anymore. If it continues at, the, at recent rates, the projections show that Christians of all ages will shrink from 64% to a little more than half and just above one-third, 35% of all Americans by 2070. Over that same period, the religious nuns, people who say they're unaffiliated, they will rise from the current 30% to somewhere between 34 and 52% of the U.S. population. What they're saying is that in the next 50 years, our country will have more people who don't believe in God than people who do, that's what they're saying. Now, I believe that first number 64% is pretty charitable. Uh, Because what they're saying is that 64%, that's not counting just people who are born again. It's counting anybody that can remotely say anything Christian. So it's talking about Catholics and Protestants. It includes things like Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons. Anything that makes some sort of claim to historic Christianity. So I don't believe for a second that 64% of our country is going to heaven when they die. I don't even believe that 64% of Walker County is Christian, because if we stopped right now and got in our cars and we drove and we started knocking on doors, we would find a lot more than 64% 64 of the people are home. And if they're not home, they're at Walmart or at the grocery store, taking care of all the other things that they do on Sunday morning. We would find way more than 64%, because here's the thing, if 64% of Walker County were Christians, there wouldn't be seats in this room. There wouldn't be seats in the balcony. The church next door wouldn't have seats. If 64% of Walker County were Christian, there wouldn't be an empty seat in a church to be found anywhere around here. That's the reality. But how many empty seats do we have today? According to the study, in the next 50 years, people with no religious affiliation or affections will make up more than half of our population. I believe that will probably much sooner based on the apathetic nature of today's nominal Christians. Today, there is a very real sense, and I hope you you see this, there's a very real sense that we have lost an entire generation. We've lost it. I bet the Israelites felt this way. you imagine? Every funeral they had was a reminder that they were part of a lost generation. I mean, all those people who walked out of Egypt, looking at the people who were in the wilderness, knowing we're all gonna die before we ever get to the promised land. We're all going to perish in this wilderness before anybody sets foot in the land of promise. I mean, what a, what a depressing feeling to know that that was the case. It had to be a painful place for the nation to be. Every step they took was another dusty reminder that they were not where God called them to be. But even though they were not positionally where they were, be, they, where they were supposed to be, they were still the people of God. And even though the generation before them had failed, they still had an obligation to the kingdom. And guess what? So do we. The trends are startling. Though the numbers do not lie, we still have an obligation to the kingdom of God, and we better make sure that we're doing our part to ensure that our children are equipped with a solid understanding of the Bible so that they will be empowered to live a lifetime of faithful service to the king. In order to do that though, we have to pay attention to our current reality. We cannot carry on, like everything is fine. Again, you hear a lot of conversation today with folks. The wheels are obviously coming off the situation. I mean, when the wheels are, are, are definitely falling off, you hear people say, oh it's fine, everything's fine. It's like it's a way of saying, I just need to get through it, I just need to get through it. Everything's not fine, everything's not okay. It obviously isn't. Everything is not okay. We are losing ground. The statistics I shared earlier should shock us, but they should not terrify us. You've heard recent studies about how kids have, and, and their education has struggled because of the, the COVID-19 pandemic. I'm very interested to see research about how the church has been affected by the pandemic as well. I'm convinced that the pandemic has only exacerbated the trends that were already in place. We all know too many people who have dropped the church completely in the last two years. It's not okay. Israel was not okay. Every single adult that crossed the Red Sea had died. They have wandered for 40 years with no clear direction. And they had finally arrived and gotten to the place to where it looked like things were gonna start turning around, but they were not okay. We need to recognize everything is not okay. Something has gone wrong. If you don't believe me, Take some time this week to talk to a Christian teacher about some of the things that they're dealing with inside their schools. Just take some time. Have a conversation with that teacher about some of the challenges that they're facing in their schools with children who are confused, children who are struggling through things that they weren't struggling through a generation ago. Even in Walker County, don't think for a second that the prevailing winds of our depraved culture are blowing past us. Take some time to talk to a real estate agent Find out who's moving into the house across the street from you. You'll probably find that it's somebody that doesn't either think like you or may even say vote like you. And it's increasingly more likely that if you go knock on their door and invite them to come to church, they perhaps have never been to church before either. And of course, the nature of statistics is that there's always exceptions. You say, Pastor, I met a new neighbor from California and they're Christians. I understand, there's exceptions. But statistics do a great thing for us. They give us a trend. And the trend says things aren't moving in the direction that we think they should. The trend seems to always be accurate. And the trends we're watching are very clear indicators that things are not okay. Israel was in a very difficult place. They lost a generation in the wilderness. But don't miss this. In spite of the fact that they lost that generation in the wilderness, there was a remarkable potential for a bright future. Why? All God's promises were still intact. What Joshua do. There's a part of this passage that I just couldn't shake as I read it. It's a simple part of verse seven. And it says this, what Joshua do, it was their children whom he raised up in their place underline, highlight, that's, a, that's an important passage. It was their children whom he raised up in their place. In other words, it's possible to stop the bleeding. Though Israel had lost a generation, Joshua was not satisfied, and he set out to replace that lost generation. I'll tell you what, this carries the vibes of an Old Testament great commission, That that, that there's work work to do. There's, There's people to replace. There's people to grow. There's people to train. There's people to make ready. There's work to be done. And in doing that, we find that we too must work to satisfy our highest calling. Is it too late for my generation, Gen X? Is it too late for the generation of my parents, the boomers? Is it too late for them? Well, you know, further we get away from childhood statistically, the less likely it is for someone to follow Christ. That's just the reality. I will say God has given me the privilege of baptizing 70-year-olds and 80-year-olds in my ministry, but over the course of time, I can tell you i baptized a whole lot more 10-year-old kids than i baptized 70-year-old men. Just statistically, the further we get away from, from childhood, the less likely it is for us to follow Christ, and there's all kinds of reasons for that. And so while it may not be too late, we know that it's gonna take a mighty God-sent awakening to see millennials and Gen Xers and boomers turn wholesale to Jesus. It's gonna take a commitment from the church to share the gospel. It's gonna take a commitment to consistency in our Christian witness. But listen to me, and I know this to be true, it is not too late for our children. But in order to raise that generation, to replace the spiritual void that's been left in the last half century, we do need moms and dads to recognize their highest calling. Don't count on the school to do it. Don't count on the church to do it. We're gonna work hard to do our part. We've got a great team in place at our church to do our part. We're actively working to make sure that we have the very best things we need to help reach the next generation. But if I could be really honest with you today, you have to be honest when you're talking about a passage about circumcision. If you want your church to reach kids and teenagers for Christ, you have to do your part to help the church be a place where that can happen. It's not just the church's place, it's all of our place to make that happen. Parents, this is your responsibility. Again, I don't want to hurt feelings. Your children can't get to church on their own on Wednesday night. They cannot. Your children cannot get to Sunday school on their own. They cannot. Some of them can. You give them a driver's license and they can start to get there. But your eight-year-old, if you don't bring them, they are missing out on what we as the church want to do for them. They are truly missing out. And that falls not on our shoulders, but on the shoulders of parents and grandparents. Parents, this is your responsibility. You do this for your kids. If we're not working tirelessly to reach our own families and to disciple our own families, how in the world are we going to reach those for whom the gospel is a completely foreign concept? So that begs an important question. Moms, dads, Are you raising your sons and daughters to take your place? That's what Joshua had to do. He had to raise a generation to take their place. Are you teaching your children how they can be witnesses to their friends at school or in their neighborhoods? Maybe you say, Pastor, I don't feel qualified to teach them. Great. We'll have a conversation about how we can help you do that. We want to we help equip you to do that. The odds are really, really high. Your son or daughter is friends with a child whose parents do not go to church and want nothing to do with the things of God, and it is your child's relationship with that friend that may be key to reaching that family with the gospel and taking one more step to turn back the statistics. And if you're concerned with the slide away from the things of God, you have the power to do something about it. It may seem small, it may seem insignificant, but you have the power to do something about it. You see, the Israelites had a problem. They had lost their identity. They had lost the previous generation. But those Israelites could do something. It was awkward, it was painful, but they could do something about it. But here's the thing, the reward for their faithfulness, their reward for their obedience was remarkable because God blessed this renewal that took place there at Gilgal. While the nation was healing, the nations were trembling. And God said, today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. God reminded the people that day in their pain and in their suffering that their cruel bondage, their years of wandering was over. They were home. But coming home means that it was just time to get to work. And all that began with the work of preparing the next generation to be obedient to God. Ultimately, this is our highest calling, and it is one we must be resolved to answer. You get to the end of this ordeal, and we struggle with it. We, we wonder, why did this make it into the Bible? Why is this important for us? But what we understand here is that God isn't finished they get to the end of this ordeal, and they recognize that there is a whole host of promises that God is about to satisfy and keep. God has signed a contract, and he is about to fulfill his side of the deal. As soon as they get through this, they're about to see Jericho fall. They're about to see Canaan come under their authority. What God is about to do through these people is stunning. We may be in a season of struggle as the church today. We may see a nation raging against us. We see philosophies and ideas and worldviews and opinions that stack against the things of God. And if you watch the news this week, I promise you, you'll feel defeated at some point in time if you watch the news this week, guaranteed. But understand this. God has a whole host of promises that he's getting ready to keep. He's not finished yet. It's not done. His promises are good. They are true. And he is still keeping them. We're not like Joshua. We're not called to conquer a nation. But hear me in this we are called to bring a revolution. And that revolution comes through a new king and a new kingdom whose name is Jesus. And he has called us as his people to take his kingdom to the ends of the earth. And that starts in our very own home, with our very own kids, our very own grandkids, in the circle that God has given us. Will you do your part to help restore the lost Generations of our nation. Would you pray with me, please? Father, I'm thankful for your word. I'm thankful, God, for difficult passages that even in their difficulty challenges. Father, as we consider what Israel lost in its wilderness wanderings, we understand that through the process of re-identifying as your people and the process of beginning this work, God, that you were about to blow their minds with the promises that you were gonna keep. All the things that you said you would do, you did. and Nobody could deny it. God, we live in a day-to-day where it feels like that the forces of evil are gaining ground, where the things opposed to God are, are taking hold But God, we also recognize that that there are promises that are unfulfilled. We understand that there is coming a day that the Lord Jesus Christ will return. That has not been forgotten. And so God, our prayer today is that we might work while we wait and that we would work to push back the darkness that is so abundant and that we would use the gospel to reach people and that we still might see lives transformed and people changed. I pray, God, that, that even in our community that, that we understand is more Christian than most, that we would not forget that lostness is pervasive, that our schools are places where, where we need Christian students and Christian teachers to be able to shine the light of Christ into dark hallways and corridors. That the truth of Christ would reign supreme that lives will be transformed. We look around and we see addiction. We see methamphetamines destroying lives. We know, God, that the power of the gospel can reverse this and transform this. But it only happens if we'll be faithful to proclaim it. So God, remind us who we are. And with that identity in Christ, send us out, certainly to the neighborhoods, let us not neglect our own homes in the process. God, we love you and are grateful for your work and your faithfulness and for keeping your promises. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thanks for listening. If you would like more information about Chattanooga Valley Baptist, check us out on the web at cvbchurch.org. If you would like to join in person, we worship every Sunday morning at 1045. We're just minutes from downtown Chattanooga. We hope to see you soon.